Sales Tuners, Episode 16, Nicole Hutzel, Regional Vice President of Sales at Amarsis. I keep saying, guys, this is not about luck. It's not necessarily about timing, and it's not because you're so good at sales. It's all about you following one step after another, preparing, understanding, mitigating, neutralizing, and really following a structured plan throughout the sales cycle to get the deal done. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time, it's time, it's time, it's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Ann Rand, who said a creative man is motivated by the desire to achieve, not by the desire to beat others. Sales tuners, we're now under two weeks until the new year, and without written goals, you're just going to end up settling or hoping you have a good year. If you're ready to take your career and commission check into your own hands, push pause on this podcast right now and head over to salestuners.com slash roadmap. I've got a free PDF workbook for you that will break down the monthly, weekly, and even daily behaviors that you will need to take to hit your goals and make 2017 the best year in sales you've ever had. But hey, if you're good with mediocrity, just ignore me. I'm sure everything will work itself out. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Hutzel, uh, Regional Vice President of Sales for the Americas at Amarsis. She started her career in elementary education, only to find she didn't really like children. Nicole has made Canada her home for the last seven years, both selling directly as well as leading sales teams at multiple software and technology companies. You'll see very quickly how Nicole truly understands the importance of process, teamwork, and collaboration, and the role each plays in creating a culture and environment that enables her to be successful. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V dot com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash Hutzel. But now let's get to the conversation where Nicole reveals how going off the grid is just one of the things that keeps her grounded. Absolutely. So one of the things that you don't hear in my intro is how important my family is to me um, and also how important being with my family off the grid is to me. So my passions are really being outside with no technology. I know crazy because I'm in technology sales. Uh, And I spend every weekend that I possibly can either, well, I live in Canada. So during the winter in the snow, snowshoeing and skiing uh, with my family or during the summer, because we have millions of lakes up here, uh, up at the lake, kayaking and paddleboarding. That's fantastic. Nicole, uh, as you know, in the show, what we do is we're going to talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. But first, I want to just talk about today. So just right now, today, talk to me about your sales process. How does someone decide to buy from you? So that's an interesting question. Um, And, you know, being a manager, I should say that I don't get to have those top of the funnel calls very often anymore. 
Um, but I'm a huge fan of the challenger uh, sales. So from a sales process methodology or sales methodology, I like to have a recipe or structure. Um, I really, and I tell my team this all the time, I think most of my team has been enabled in some process. I don't really care what, as long as they follow it. For example, at Amarsis, we have some internal processes. I call them proprietary processes because we use other acronyms like STAMP and ERIC. But really, it's BANT and, and uh, what we used in value selling called OPC questioning. Uh, I'm really big on that process in general. And I tell my team constantly that I'm going to inspect your deals based on whether or not you have followed the process. I will ask you about um, specifics like mutually agreed upon closed plans and whether or not the business issue is time bound and quantifiable. Uh, I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page um, from a, a sales process thinking. Think like a recipe or a structure, even an outline from back when we were in grade school and had to do essays. That makes sense. And, and Nicole, just for context, tell me about Amarsis. What is it that you're doing all that process with? <laughs> so Amarsis is a marketing automation platform that's really designed for the B2C retailer e-com marketer. Uh, one of the things that differentiates our competitors, which are big clouds, um, as well as smaller clouds, is that we have layered on machine learning and artificial intelligence to take uh, the role of the marketer to the next level and deliver on the promise of marketing, which is to create true one-to-one experiences for their customers without having to tactically or humanly execute every step in the process. Um, so we're really excited about it. Yeah, you should be. It's kind of the dream for, for the marketer. Uh, so to be able to leverage that and not have to have that one, you know, the actual touches is, is kind of nice. So, uh, Nicole, obviously you haven't been the person that you are today forever. So let's go way back. Tell, talk to me about how you got into sales. Oh, that's actually, it's a funny question. Uh, it's a funny story because I went to school. I'm from, say, I, I lived in California and I went to San Diego State. I actually graduated, which I tell people, but I graduated with a 2.222, which I round up to 2.3. <laughs> um, so it shows you how, how great a student I was. Um, but I got a degree in elementary education and a, and a credential, did my first year of student teaching and really didn't like children. I love my two children, but overall, the, the entire uh, group of children just wasn't my bag. So I got into adult education started doing job development for dual diagnosis adults, people with learning dis or uh, some sort of physical disability as well as a drug or alcohol problem, and started finding jobs for those people, which was probably the hardest sell I ever did. Uh, and that led to me getting involved in organizations and charity organizations where we were helping people find jobs. And I got recruited by a private sector company for, for staffing and recruiting. Uh, right. And I want to say right before the turn of the century. Um, so that led to getting involved in the technical space early, early on, got recruited by one of my customers, a uh, media company who said, hey, you went to San Diego State. We went to San Diego State. Here's a book on selling advertising, especially digital. Come work for us. Um, and then from there, it snowballed. I just started getting into digital sales. And because I was new into this or I came into the space when it was new. 
um, I got to really learn from the ground up. I was in search when it was cool to uh, pay people to surf and click. Uh, and Google was still a small company pre-IPO. And then I got into email when email was sort of, hey, this is really cool. We can not send out direct mails. And from there, it just snowballed. And one of the things I will say is I've been fortunate enough to build relationships within all of the organizations that I have been in. And each of those relationships has led me to the next place. So I actually haven't applied for a job. I want to, I, I can't look back and say the last time I went in blind to a job. It's been a, it's been a fun ride. Sure has. It sure has. Nicole, one of the things you were telling me is that you know, you're, you're fearless uh, about new things, whether that's new jobs, new experiences, uh, just new opportunities. But you know, a, as you were starting out new in the sales world, what did your world look like? How were you, you know, you were handed a book on ad sales. How are you going out and getting customers? How are you closing deals? Like, what did what did your your tactical world look like? I did a lot of um, I did a lot of what I now ask my team to do, which was cold calling. Uh, and this was back. I mean, email. You know, you could send people email, but it was really hard to find email addresses because a lot of people didn't have an email address. They had an info at because they had just launched websites. So I did a lot of picking up the phone and. And it was interesting. One of the things I learned when I was a job developer, there was a great guy, and I want to, I, I remember his last name was Pimentel. And he said, it's always important to say, look, if you aren't ready to hire one of my people, do you know somebody who might be interested? So I always asked whomever it was I was connecting with, regardless of whether or not they were a qualified prospect, did they know somebody? And then as I got deeper into more, more enterprise sales, even though I was an individual contributor, I would leverage my clients in the same way. I would say, hey, you know, the platform is doing X, Y, and Z for you to solve your business issues. Do you know somebody who might benefit from the same thing? And frankly, building out my, I, I'm going to use an old school term, my Rolodex hmm. was the way that I started to build out my, and get to my number. And it was, and, and the other thing I will say, and this is something that I think in this digital age, it's really, really important is to be responsive. There wasn't good, bad, or otherwise a, an email, a phone call, a LinkedIn request, whatever that I didn't respond to, um, in a timely manner, because you would be surprised how many people don't. What do you mean by that? Because I mean, we're, we're inundated with with text messages, as you said, LinkedIn updates, emails, phone calls. So how are you responding to all of those? And, and what, what does it actually mean? So I think that it it takes seconds to respond to an email. If you get a cold email from somebody and as a as a VP now, I do get people reaching out to say, hey, thank you for your response. Um, not the right time. Here it is. Getting a text message, getting a LinkedIn request. Remember that your brand, your personal brand is still important, even if that individual in that time frame isn't somebody who's relevant to you right now. You never know where, when, why, how, who you might run into that person again, and they may be the person you're selling to. So if they remember you as somebody who engaged with them, good, bad, or otherwise, or not bad, but good or otherwise, you're going to start building out that reputation of being a go-to person in, in all facets. And I think that's a really important aspect of 
building your brand and sales and being able to successfully drive to revenue. You know, it's funny, Nicole, as you said that I'm thinking about the week that I had leading up to uh, Thanksgiving and all of the cold emails that I got. And, and maybe it was just my mood. I just wanted to kind of be done with everything. And I uh, that I definitely didn't take your approach. I was just like ignoring them. And some of them had been, you know, it was like the third or fourth time that I've gotten I'm like, guys, I'm just not interested in like, but yeah, it does reflect on my personal brand. I never even thought about that. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, so you, you, you talked to me, Nicole, about, you know, what you did uh, back then. You've talked to me about how you're doing that with your team, but lay out that process for when you're coaching your reps today, what are you doing? How are you working with them to get them to hit their quotas and to be the best salesperson they could be? Well, so one of the things I will say is that I am managing right now about 13 people. Um, that's going to change shortly, but we grew very quickly to Marcus. So the reality is that I can't coach every single one of my team the way I would like to. So I've instituted peer coaching programs and peer collaboration programs within my team. I did this before prior to Amarsis. I was at Adobe, had a large field region as well, where I looked at my team strengths and said, okay, um, this individual is really good at this sort of thing, like building out proposals. This person's much better at on the fly um, responses. And I would connect the dots between team members the other thing that I do is I try to individualize my coaching to really be the needs, meet the needs of an individual. There are some people who are farther down the um, experience curve or more mature in their abilities, but need coaching for career development. There's greener reps, and I have a couple of those that just need to learn about sales. So I also try to focus not on a one size fits all approach, but really focus or hone in on what it is that individual needs and just meet those needs. Um, one of the re ways I, I learned this was uh, back when I was at Exact Target, we had Marcus Buckingham come in from the standout report. And he talked about how it's a, people like to talk about, in, in, and it, maybe it's a US thing as well, how we remediate our problems. I'm bad at math, therefore I spend a lot of time banging my head against Excel. What if we spent that time instead honing our skills on the things that we're really, really focused and good at, and we outsource the things that we're bad at. So I also coach my team to say, what is it you're really good at? Let's, let's focus and sharpen, sharpen those skills. And if you're not good at building a PowerPoint deck, let's, let's outsource that to solutions consulting or somebody who can bang that out for you. So really, again, focusing on the strengths. I like that. And so you went down the path of coaching, Nicole, and I want to flip it a little bit. So obviously it sounds like you, you feel that coaching is very important for you and for your reps, but from the reps perspective, how can they get the most out of coaching? Well, I think the first thing is that they have to be open to it. <laughs> uh, if you have a rep who believes that they know what they're doing and they're a lone wolf and they don't require coaching, they're not going to end up being a performer over time because they are going to constantly focus on what they are, what is successful in that um, immediate time frame, And they aren't going to be able to sharpen those skills and get better and better at their, that job. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's sort of, I, I, I think from a rep perspective, they have to be open to coaching. And I, I haven't found in my Current or in my current place at a Marsis or even in my past careers, 
reps who aren't open to growing as long as you define it in a in a positive manner sure no it, it does make sense so uh, talk to me um is there like a routine or habit nicole that you're doing on a daily or, or weekly basis how do you get in the groove <laughs> so i actually downloaded and and it's funny because it, this was a an area that i was sort of leaving um out of my life uh, over an 18 month period when i was at adobe and I realized I wasn't getting exercise. I wasn't uh, getting enough sleep. I wasn't taking care of myself because I do travel significantly. I downloaded the daily yoga app. And now I do yoga every single day, um, nowhere, no matter where I am. It's, it's really hard to pack your workout gear when you travel as much as I do and find the time. So instead, setting my alarm 30 minutes early, I do my yoga every single day. And if I miss it in the morning... I do it in the evening because I, I now can't live without it. And so to, uh, how, do, how do you think that impacts your, your workday and, and, your, and your sales ability? Well, first of all, it allows me to center my mind in the morning because yoga has a meditation aspect. I'm just focused on breathing. It releases some of those you know, toxins in my body. Uh, and, and it also gives me something to look forward to when I get up in the morning, which starts the day off great. I'm not looking at my emails until I've done my yoga. I'm not um, dealing with the issues that I left the night before until I've centered my mind. And I I think it's really, it's had a direct impact on my positivity and, and, and really on my, my levels of stress. Gotcha. So I want to, I feel like with a lot of the best reps that I've talked to, it is this um, routine or process that they're able to start to get themselves into that, that ultimately is starting to lead to their success. So you shared with me a little bit, well, and I'll just say it, you told me that you really weren't the best sales rep uh, there was out there, you you know, you'd hit your number, but you you weren't going to be at the top. So how have you had that success that, that, that you obviously have experienced? Well, you gave away my dirty little secret that I never got to go to club because <laughs> I was always like number three. I, I it, even in the big clouds, I was like number two or number number six out of where however many. I was always at that top ranking, um, but because I don't think I was a born sales rep, I never took a business class. Uh, I didn't have that that sort of context. Instead, I had to learn. So. From the first day of getting a book on how to sell advertising, I followed some level of process. And my team would probably uh, roll their eyes if I said this, but I'm constantly hammering that on the team. I keep saying, guys, this is not about luck. It's not necessarily about timing, and it's not because you're so good at sales. It's all about you following one step after another, preparing, understanding, um, mitigating neutralizing and really following a structured plan through throughout the sales cycle to get the deal done. And if you do it that way, there's no panic at the end. There's no fire drills. There's no, um, Hey, I'm going to discount this 75% because it's end of quarter. It's the best way to, to, I think, sustain in sales over time. I'm going to ask you to break that down for me a little bit, Nicole. So imagine that there is a a rep out there who does not have the type of leader that you are, and they're having to figure this out all themselves. What all the steps that you just said, what does that actually mean? How can I take somebody from first touch to close? Can you break it down for me, the tactics? Absolutely. I mean, I I think every business has a a playbook that they're going to be pushing on their, their reps. 
And that playbook should include everything from starting at the very beginning and understanding the customer's business challenge upfront, quantifying it and making it time bound. So knowing that the customer is has a revenue generating target that they have to hit by a certain time, but that they can't hit because of some factor. Maybe it's that they don't have the the data in the system. Maybe it's that operationally they don't have enough bodies. Maybe it's that that from a business perspective they haven't structured themselves from a B to B to B to C, so on and so forth. But understanding what that business challenge is and understanding the metric that they have to hit, and then working from there. Then really building a conversation around an, a, a solution in order to clearly be able to articulate value. And then as a sales rep, tying value back to that business issue is critical. Making that value be quantifiable. So if you were to hit solve this problem, here's what this problem would mean to you as a business in dollars and cents. And then looking at the big picture. So building out, looking at the big picture and saying, if we need to solve this problem by what is the plan to get there and outlining that plan in very specific steps. Here's when you and I need to agree that the solution is the one you want. Here's when you and I need to agree on how much that's worth to you. Here's when you and I need to engage you and I and everybody else involved, by the way, it shouldn't just be that one individual because no one person makes the decision for a business. There should be at least three contacts within different personas and touch points within both organizations. And then walking through the steps it will take to finalize that process of paperwork, legal procurement, all of the fun stuff that we don't like to do, get that contract signed, but ultimately focusing on what that means for the customer. When do you need to hit that business goal? When do you need to show that number so that you're, you're, you're not drawing a timeline or a plan to signature for your contract as a rep, but you're drawing a, a path out for that customer's success. And, and to me, taking it through all of those steps is critical to closing a deal. It differentiates us from our competitors in, in a huge way. That makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you doing that. I, I'm hearing a lot of the the feedback that, uh, you know, some of my listeners have given me. They're like, but Jim, you know, especially in the software world, my boss just tells me just to demo the product, just show them the product and the product will sell itself. You know, you, you're in the space as well with, with a software as a solution. And you have many competitors that have a similar offering. Why? How do you get past that? The customer just saying, just show me the demo, just show me how to do this stuff. It's funny because, you know, that's that's a that's a, a problem throughout the industry, which is feature function price is what we expect our customers to make decisions on. But we're also similar if we just if we look at buttons and we look at what those buttons do, those buttons don't solve problems. And so again, part of that is accessing people who aren't touching the buttons to really upsell or sell up the organization. No, and I keep telling my guys this status quo is what it's going to be. If the end user is saying that their pain is a feature or their pain is a function, we're going to lose to the incumbent because it's going to cost the business time and money and pain that they're not willing to, they're not going to be willing to walk away from at the top level. So 
we again, we have this challenge on a daily basis. Heck, on our website, we have asked for a demo as a as a right. call session. Um, but getting to the person saying, "I'm happy to do that demo for you," but before I do that, I really need to understand what problems we're trying to solve so that I can customize the solution that I present to you to specifically address those problems. And it's, it is a critical conversation to have. And I think nine times out of 10, if, if a prospect is a serious prospect, if they're seriously evaluating a Marsis or whomever I've worked for in the past as a real viable solution for their business, they're willing to step back and allow you to build out a solution-oriented sell to them without um, challenge. So flip to the other side, maybe like, what do you think it is, Nicole, that it's the biggest thing that holds salespeople back from hitting their goals? Maybe this is you, maybe it's your reps, but what is that, that blocker that holds most people back? You know, I think what holds people back is that unwillingness to let go and, and, and open themselves up to support from other team members. I always believe even almost in some of the most small transactional sales that it takes a village to close a deal. And as I mentioned earlier, you have to have multiple contacts and touch points within a deal. If a rep believes that they are solely going to walk in and win that business on their own and be a rock star and get all the credit, they're missing the bigger picture. So I think in order to be a highly successful rep, you have to be able to manage virtual teams and build those virtual, uh, almost virtual villages to engage a customer across cross their business and solve all of their business problems together and then close that deal together. I like that. And you talked about the, the peer coaching earlier as well, because you can't get to all of your people the way you'd like to. So I totally see how that, uh, that village works in your world. Nicole, as, as you look back at your career, was there a magical moment that, that you just, it kind of clicked for you? You know, it's funny. Um, I've had a lot of them, but I would say in recent, uh, in my recent experience, um, prior to, prior to coming over to Marsis, I worked for a, a leader who in a lot of ways was the antithesis of how I approached business. And yet he taught me so much about structure process and how to, um, forecast, <laughs> And that was my clay foot before, which was how do I forecast accurately? How do I not? And to me, that was the aha moment that's really helped me get better in my career. I know it sounds like something very small, but forecasting accurately is is like a magical skill um, that makes everybody up the food chain really, really happy. And so now that's something I'm really working with my team on today is how do you forecast your deals accurately? Uh, and, and then the business can be more successful in their projections. And, and what are some of those things? What the, the tactical things that are allowing you uh, to forecast and, and, and that you're teaching your team? So again, it goes sort of back to looking at where the customers needs to be from a value perspective and not building it out based on our uh, calendar requirements like quarters or months or fiscals, but really focusing on the customer's needs so that when you put that, uh, you put that opportunity in Salesforce, it's based on that timeline. 
not on our timeline. And you never know, like with some customers, you can say, look, I know your timeline is, but um, I really could use the signature this week. Is that possible? But if you've already built that credibility with the customer and you, and you understand where they need to be, it, that maybe pulling that deal into another quarter is a, a, is a potential and you have a little room for margin or margin for error. But um, overall, you're forecasting based on those customer requirements. And it's, it's, it's very different, right? It's a, it's a different approach. Oh, it totally is. I, I'm thinking about my own pipeline right now. And, and uh, yeah, there's some deals out there that I'm just, I'm trying to push through for this year, knowing full well that the client has said, I can't, there's no reason for me to do this until a couple months out. So uh, I jotted down some notes for myself. So thank you for that. Um, Nicole, we've talked a lot about success, but with every good, uh, whether it be entrepreneur or sales rep, sales leader, there's failures as well. Is there a time that you, you have failed that you, you're willing to share with me? Yeah, I, I, I've failed very, very dramatically in, um, if you were to look at it on paper, I was an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and was part of a group of people that launched a print magazine and online community for babies born prematurely. And we just went big and went home in a lot of ways. We, we distributed through a controlled circ, meaning we didn't charge for the publication uh, and got wildly successful with organizations like the March of Dimes and others. And the, the ability to keep up while we got a lot of good brands because of our newness to the marketplace, we, we were selling ads, but we weren't able to support ourselves fully. We went out, tried to get some... VC funding, and there was a little, you know, raising of eyebrows, how much money can a magazine and online community for preemies make? And we ended up um, in 2007, having to uh, basically declare bankruptcy, which was really hard. But I don't look at it as a failure, because man, I learned so much. I was the director of sales and marketing. And I, I just learned a ton about myself about what not to do when you have a business and, um, and really about how to fail. I think everybody should go out and be an entrepreneur in their career at least once um, because it gives you a whole sense of what it means to do everything in a business. Yeah, I think the uh, the people who've given that a shot and, and have decided to go back to the world of getting a job, they're a lot better employees because they have a bigger perspective uh, of the world. So I couldn't agree more with that. Nicole, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Sooners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We are back and it's time for the money round. Nicole, are you ready for the money round? I am. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Frankly, not letting my gender get in the way. 
I would like to expand on that. But as I told you, we just uh, we hit right on the surface. So that's awesome. Uh, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? I would actually take a course in business. Um, I had to learn terms and termolo- terminology along the way. Uh, thank you, Google. Yeah, no kidding. If you were, uh, so I guess which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win. Um, losing for me never happens because I always learn something. And what's a book that you've read uh, multiple times, Nicole, or always find yourself recommending to others? So it's not a sales book. And I know that's going to sound uh, odd, but there's a book called The Millionaire and the Bard. And it's a book about Henry Clay Folger, who started the Folger Library and collected Shakespeare's first folios obsessively. Um, and, and I just was, I'm, I'm continually drawn to the commitment of an individual to, to focus on something from history and try to preserve it but then open that up to the rest of the world in, in that sort of philanthropic way. Um, and, and frankly, I'm a huge Shakespeare fan. So there's that, that piece of it as well. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Nicole's suggestion of The Millionaire and the Bard for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Nicole, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? So I I referenced Marcus Buckingham earlier. I would really go back to that um, piece of focusing on your strengths and outsourcing your weaknesses. I genuinely believe that you should not spend your time learning PowerPoint if that's not the area of focus. Um, And instead, if you're really, really good at picking up the phone and having these awesome conversations with customers, spend your time doing that or whiteboarding in a room instead of coming in with a a perfectly structured deck. Um, The other thing is find a team of people to shore you up on those weaknesses. Reach out and look for people with those skills and then offer them, pay it forward and offer them part of your strengths. I'll get you out here on this one. If someone wanted to connect with you after the show today, Nicole, how might they do that? There's a number of ways. So I'm more than happy to have you reach out to me on my Amarsis email. It's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E dot Hutzel, H-U-T-Z-U-L at Amarsis, E-M-A-R-Y. I'm sorry, I spelled that wrong. E-M-A-R-S-Y-S dot com. Or if you want to be bored, my Twitter handle is Nikki Rosie. Um, or on LinkedIn, Nicole Hetzel. Nicole, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jim. I'm a big process person myself. So throughout my entire conversation with Nicole, I was taking notes for my own benefit. It's no wonder she's never had to apply for a job. That uber focus on a system is truly golden. So let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, have a process. This one should be obvious from the episode title, but here's the thing. If you don't have a process, you have to adopt your buyer's process, and they don't know how to buy. As you define the individual steps in your process and what the exit criteria is for each, it becomes much easier to qualify, plan, and close opportunities. Number two, ask for referrals. You'll never get anything in life that you don't ask for, and referrals are no exception. Make it a habit. Actually, make it part of your process to ask everyone you come in contact with for one referral. If you're able to describe to them the problem you solve, see if they know one person that might be having that problem and could benefit from your solution. Number three, act like an entrepreneur. 
look, it's easy to play Tuesday morning quarterback, but until you really start to understand all the mechanics of running a business, you'll never fully grasp why certain decisions are made or not made. Until then, being resourceful and knowing which corners to cut or which risks to take can have a huge impact on your career. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there.